You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Philip Jordan Show. I'm your host, Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer of Dutch Ones Football on I6.9, a legend and Auburn writer for last word on college football. On today's show, on this Friday edition of the show, I am going to be joined by Sporting News National College Football writer Bill Bender. We will talk about will Jim Harbaugh return to Michigan next season? What was his thoughts on Nick Saban's retirement last week and Kalen DeBoer coming in? And how short release could the board be on there at Alabama? And we'll also look at some of the 2024 college football playoff contenders. Then I'll be joined by Colin Lacey. He is with Westwood One Radio. He was on the sideline. He was covering the game. He was working the game for Westwood One between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles this past Monday. So we will talk about how Tampa Bay won the game and look ahead to some of the playoff matchups for this weekend. And also, we'll look back at Collins time, part of the radio broadcast team for the Georgia Southern Eagles. So a lot of cool stuff here on the show. And then I will end the show giving you my playoff picks for the weekend. You can check out the Philip Georgia Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of this show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Joining me on the show today is Bill Bender. Of course, you can check him out over at the Sporting News. He has wall-to-wall coverage of college football and much, much more over there. And uh, Bill, as always, appreciate you taking the time coming on the show. Hey, Philip. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, probably figured, okay, national championship last week, uh, last Monday over a week ago. Uh, it's going to be a calm and quiet uh, college football news cycle, but then uh, everything changed, didn't it? Yeah, you know, here, here's the interesting thing, that since Nick Saban retired, there have been six coaching changes. Uh, guys going from group of five schools to coach at Alabama, Kellen DeVore, Jed Fish, it just it kicked off an unbelievable set of dominoes that, yeah, when I, I'm going to be honest with you, Philip, when I got off the plane uh, from Houston, I thought, oh, hey, deep breath, I'm good, season over. <laughs> Not so much 48 hours later. So uh, it, it's been a wild week and a half, and we're still kind of waiting on what happens with Harbaugh um, and the Chargers or whether or not he returns to Michigan, which will be, the la- I think, the last one, and then we can actually have an off season. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, uh, I, I was joking with somebody the other day. I said, you know, Michigan wins the national title, monumental win. You know, the program hadn't won one since the '90s when they shared it with Nebraska. Everybody should be talking about Michigan. And then Nick Saban announces this. It's just like everybody forgot Michigan even won the national championship. Yeah, I, that was the thing. That just seems like so long ago now. And I was mm-hmm. in the building, and you know, you, you again, you don't take. As writers, podcasters, you know, radio guys, I don't think we take enough time sometimes to to really enjoy what we do. And uh, that was an enjoyable moment for me. You know, I've been around the Big Ten my whole life. Um, It was a lot of fun to see in person. And, um, 
but yeah, it seems like ages ago because now we've got Alabama, we've got Washington with a coaching change. We've got Arizona, a team that was billed as a top 10 team going into next year with what they've got coming back coaching change with Brent Brennan. So, um, and we're just getting into what's going to be in a completely different year for college football. So yeah, it's been wild. Before we jump into Alabama and Nick Saban and Kalen DeBoer and all that stuff going on with Alabama right now, talk about, you know, Jim Harbaugh, do you, do you see any scenario where he returns to Michigan or do you think it's almost a certainty that he's headed somewhere in the national football league? Yeah, I thought he would have been the Chargers coach by now, honestly. Now I get that they had a parade and they had those kind of things going on. And then there's the rumors that, well, he kind of wants to stay, but he wants, it's like an episode of law and order. He wants immunity to stay at Michigan and uh, for violations that haven't really been, he hasn't been penalized for. So I think that is an added wrinkle. I think Michigan's roster is gutted by but it's in a good way it means they did something they won a national title they're going to have a ton of guys in the nfl draft jj mccarthy being one of them obviously and uh you know for jim harbaugh it's a question to me it's okay if you stay at michigan they're not going to fire you uh, absent a huge ncaa thing if he goes to the nfl about in a season right so I, I think that's the big question for me is what he's going to do and you know, I'm still leaning that he'll be the Chargers' next coach. Yeah, just looking at Michigan team too as well. I mean, this was the third straight year they'd made the playoff and and they, they win it all. Of course, they beat Alabama, the, which we did not know at the time was Nick Saban's final game, and then he, they beat Washington and kind of the same way, pressuring the quarterback. Just when you look at this Michigan team, what was different from this Michigan team from the previous two seasons where they lost in the semifinals? Oh, they were just a veteran team on defense that was so good at keeping things in front. Um, I don't think we've spoken since the Alabama game where they were just more physical at the point of attack, which was wild. And they still almost lost the game because of a bunch of special teams mistakes. But, yeah, I mean, this was a really good Michigan team, really veteran Michigan team. Guys like Blake Corum, you can't under – sell the value of a guy like Blake Corm or J.J. McCarthy, the leadership, Michael Barrett, Mike Sanders still. They're just such a veteran team that was very good. And I think, you know, the eye-opening part to me, like I said, it was the first time with them that I thought, hey, up front, they look like they can handle Georgia. They can handle Alabama. Georgia-Michigan would have been a really good game, uh, just just like Alabama was. Yeah, it's I know that was our conversation too, which you know we had it, you know, back when the after the playoff was announced, the four teams, uh, the four best. I said it's hard to have that argument with Georgia sitting over there that she had the four best, but you know that's an old argument. Uh, Michigan's the champs. Uh, Alabama, and we kind of we talked about it a little bit there off the top here, just the retirement statement. Just when that happened over a week ago, it just feels like it's been longer, but it's, it is just a little over a week ago that he retired. Uh, how big of a surprise was it for you? Um, not, not a huge surprise. Maybe the timing of it, just because, like I said, we're in January. The season's over. Um, perhaps, yeah. I think he just came to that decision. I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think there was anything around. I think he just came to the decision that, hey, 
uh, I'm going to retire. And there was no indication when I was in Houston to the people I talked to that he was anywhere close to retiring, which was the wild thing. Um, so I, I think that just changes the game so much. Um, you know, obviously his legacy, I, I think the, the one stat I just keep hammering at people is if you take his uh, SEC championship games, his BCS championship games, his college football playoff semifinals and championship games, you come up with a record of 24 and six. That's incredible. And it really is. And to win 80% of the, the biggest games possible over the course of a career between LSU and Alabama, I mean, it's going to be impossible to replicate that. Yeah, you talked about his SEC championship record. He only lost a one uh, SEC championship game. That was in 2008 to Tim Tebow, which he got revenge on that the next year. And that's amazing in itself that they would get to the SEC championship game and you're almost just like, yeah, there was years where you may predict the, the other team may win, but they were, they were winning that game every year except for that first one. Yeah, and obviously, you know, that's this high standard and people are going to wonder, okay, where does this go from here? And it you know, for Kalen, I mean, that's an impossible job. He's done a good job assembling a good staff, uh, pulling guys like Kane Walmack, uh, Maurice Linguist out of the group of five to be head coaches. Uh, the offensive staff, those guys at Washington, they were good. They, they were really good on offense. Um, so he's a winner, too. And the only thing to watch, and you and I talk all the time, is I buy this factor, too. I mean, the fact that he's a South Dakota boy, in the South, the big question is recruiting. And I, this is just an outsider making this observation to you, is when it goes South for one of those guys when they're coaching in the SEC, that's the first thing y'all point to, whether it was Brian Harzen or, um, you know, there's other examples of that. Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. When it, the, it, the leash is a little bit less if you're a quote-unquote outsider. I don't think that's rocket science to you. No, it's not. And I'm glad you mentioned Brian Harson. Which any Alabama fans that's listening to this, they'll be hollering at me. They say, "Well, he's not Brian Harson." I mean, you know, I think Brian Harson's a good football coach. He just wasn't a fit in the Southeast and at Auburn, which Auburn's a different animal than a lot of them. But you're right. I mean, you do get a the leash is a lot shorter. And I get your opinion on this. Had it been like Elaine Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian, you know, somebody that had worked under Saban before. Do you feel like that would be one where they get a little bit longer leash than maybe what Caleb yes. Board could potentially get? Yes, but I also think those guys were smart enough not to be the guy to follow the guy. Mm-hmm. Like that, maybe they bring them in next. You know, Dabo, I use the same analogy up here. I said Dabo plays off great at Clemson, would have been an interesting candidate for Alabama given the ties. Dabo wouldn't fit at Michigan, fit at Ohio State. I mean, that's the thing. You can't. It, it, that's why this sport is regional, and I think that's one of the things that makes this sport so much fun is you have those conversations. But I, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I think they were probably at least called, called for sure. And maybe it was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to follow Nick Saban because it's going to be so darn hard. You heard mm-hmm. Steve Spurrier talking about that on, on the Feinbaum show last week. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you bring up Spurrier because that's kind of something I was just having casual conversation with people. It, it that's what I always think of when you, you want to be, you don't want to be the guy to follow the guy. You want to be the follow the guy to follow the guy. When you look at Steve Spurrier when he left Florida, then Ron Zook comes in. 
he wasn't bad. They were usually an eight and three, eight and four team. And then Urban Meyer comes in, wins a couple of national championships because he's not following Spurrier. He was following Ron Zook. It's a little bit different situation. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the program that you could really draw the, the closest comparison to. And we did that in a column over at SN where, you know, Florida sifted through some coaches, had a lot of turnover, got Urban Meyer, had that run with him, but it was short-lived. And the rest has been really tough. If you look at Alabama between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, same deal. You know, had coaches have success. Gene Stallings won a national title. He had coaches win 10 games. He also had a lot of instability and a quick – need to press reset when things went wrong. So I think these are some of the challenges that Dale and DeBoer will face and not just it doesn't happen overnight. I, but I, again, I would tell Alabama fans, give the dude some time. Look at his track record. Look what he did at Washington in two years. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen at Washington. Uh, it hadn't happened at Washington since the 1990s. And yeah, Michigan beat them, but you know, that's Michigan. Michigan's one of the five, six, seven great football factories in the sport right now. You know, you're talking about and you know the tremendous job he's done everywhere he's been. He's won everywhere he's been, has Kalen DeBoer, but you know, I know you look at the, the Alabama players that are leaving the program. Of course it started, you know, Isaiah Baum, their best receiver, he's off to Texas. See Caleb Downs is in the portal. See a lot of players that have entered the portal have left Alabama. So at least going into year one, for you how concerning is that if you're Kalen DeBoer? Uh, pretty concerning, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is the hard part with college football now. I mean, because it's the timing on the calendar, and now, like, what do you do? Who are you supposed to pick up? I mean, I guess with spring practice, there'll be more. There was going to be some roster attrition. There always is. And it's more noticeable at places like Alabama. I mean, Caleb Downs is the biggest loss. He's one of the best players in college football already, and he has two more years. So, if he ends up in a Georgia uniform or Ohio State uniform, that's something that, yeah, that wouldn't be the best thing. Yeah, it does. You know, I mean, it's jokingly, but I kind of see at the same time. I think Kirby's over there at Georgia kind of licking his chops right now, seeing all these players and coaches uh, depart from Alabama. He's like, okay, let me have this guy. Let me have this guy. Because it seems like a lot of special with the defensive backs. That's with Tavarius Robinson going over there. Georgia's really – some of those guys are headed that direction too. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it definitely is. So I, I think Georgia will benefit, Ohio State will benefit. And, you know, you talked about, we talked about this before I came on, the early top 25 type list, uh, mine's outdated already. It was a, it lasted about four days. Um, but I wouldn't change too much. I think Ohio State, Texas, and Georgia will probably be one, two, and three in some order in most lists. Alabama and Michigan, because of the coaching changes, will probably be in that top 10, but there's a lot of question marks. And then, uh, like I said, a school like Arizona, all that momentum they built, you know, well, they lost their coach. So where does it go from here with Brent Brennan? Um, especially if Noah Fafita gets in the portal and goes somewhere else. So it, it, it's definitely fluid. That list will change. A lot will change in college football next year. A lot will change how we kind of size up who those 12-team playoffs 12 playoff teams will be. Yeah, that's right. You know, as we go into that, and yeah, you talk about, you know, with Ohio State, just what they've been doing. I mean, Will Howard, and you get Quinshawn Junkins, if they get Kale Downs, they look like they're really stocking up for a big year. I know Ryan Day has had a, a great record there, but obviously not beating Michigan is something Ohio State fans do not like. That's a, 
that's concerning for them. But it really looks like Ohio State's really pushing hard through the portal and really stacking up this roster to make a run at it next season. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State's loaded. I mean, getting Quinshawn Judkins, getting Will Howard, um, the response, it's kind of like an Empire Strikes Back response to Michigan winning the title um, and, and increases the urgency there. Um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with that program. The, the other part that they're bought in is it's kind of a cool thing to see is several of their defensive stars came back. That was mm-hmm. a top five defense this year. And those guys bypassed the NFL to come back because they felt a responsibility to come back and beat Michigan and win a Big Ten championship and take their national title shot, which, you know, that allowed the bad feelings from Michigan or watching Michigan win it all or the Missouri Bowl game, which was a complete disaster. Uh, it allowed those out the door. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've tried to erase watching that game out of my memory. Just it was, it was a bad, that was a bad Friday night. Uh, I should have done something else that night, Bill. Uh, <laughs> watching that game, it, it was a tough one. That set back offensive football there for a while, sure. Um, but yeah, it, I think all of that is out the door, and, and Brian Day's built the momentum. And you know, obviously, the pressure will be when they get on the field in this new look Big Ten to go execute and, and win that Big Ten championship. You know, real quick before I let you go, uh, as we talked about this, I think the last time I had you on the show, uh, that mean you uh, share uh, something common that were, you know, both Packer fans. Any chance against the 49ers? Can they make another a big surprise like they did against the Cowboys? Well, you know, I'm so excited. Uh, Jordan Love was wonderful against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, it, it, but it works like this, Philip. You, you go from being elated that they won to by Tuesday, I was kind of like, ah. I'm just going to enjoy this till the 49ers beat them to, you know, yesterday it was kind of like, well, if they do these things, right, mm-hmm. they got a shot to by Saturday, I'm going to be like, Hey, we're going to beat the 49ers. We're going to the Super Bowl. Why not? And the biggest reason why I, I, there will be some semblance of belief is that Jordan love is fantastic. The way that he spreads the ball to these receivers is unbelievable. Their defense might not be good enough to win this game, but, um, yeah, you know, anytime they play the 49ers, uh, I get excited, and it'll be another fun chapter in that rivalry. Yeah, definitely. We'll see if we can do something Aaron Rodgers struggled against. That was against the 49ers, so it's going to be be fun this weekend. We still got the football with the NFL. And uh, Bill, it's always fun having you on the show, talking all things college football, and a little Packers thrown in there. But the listeners and viewers out there want to check you out. Where can they find you on the work you're doing? Yeah, I'm at BillBender92 at SportingNews.com. I'm super excited. Um you know, like I said, I appreciate all you do for me, and uh, we'll have plenty of content up about college football and the NFL and, and Harbaugh and Alabama and everything else over the next coming days. All right, sounds good, everybody. Go give Bill a follow and uh, check out the sporting news. And, uh, Bill, once again, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to when we get to this again. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m., and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America 
at night and Coast to Coast AM keep you company and connected throughout the night. Plus, Fox News, the Alabama Radio Network, and Wiregrass Daily News keep you informed with national, international, state, and local news. And with more musical choices like all the hits, 106.7 KMX, Today's Country, 95.5 WTVY, and Music 107.7. Digio Strategies gives you more choices and more variety. Listen on air, online, and on our apps. 96.9 The Legend is just the beginning. Everybody up next on the show joining me is Colin Lacey, uh, part of Westwood One Sports, uh, Georgia Tech baseball broadcast, uh, and also high school football, Southeast Bullet Yellow Jackets. Uh, and uh, Colin, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I told you off air. I always uh, had planned on asking you, especially when you know you were in, with the Georgia Southern side of things, uh, living in Sunbelt with me being uh, not too far from uh, from Troy. But anyways, it's, I'm glad to have you on. And uh, I was joking with you off the air. When it comes to just location, uh, you did get the uh, better end of the deal than a lot of broadcasters did on a on wild card weekend getting to go to uh the warm uh area of tampa bay yeah when i got to tampa bay and it was 65 degrees there was a little bit of mist and we were talking like man i hope it doesn't rain and then we started thinking you know what we're not going to complain about anything that happens here it's not minus 12 degrees and three feet of snow and all of that i think we're pretty good with a little mist oh did you see this week uh talking about the weather uh, somebody asked Todd Bowles, uh, how is he going to prepare his team to get ready for the uh, the cold weather of Detroit? And, he's, and he handled it like 100% pro. I mean, he was great with it. But told the reporter, uh, yeah, we'll be playing in a dome. Uh, I guess she didn't know that they play in a dome. He said, the only time we're worried about the weather will be about the 20 seconds for getting off the bus. I was like, I hope that is just somebody who doesn't normally cover sports that was doing that because – the Detroit Lions been playing indoors for what 30, 40 years. Yeah, uh, a long time. Yeah, as long as I've been watching, they've been inside. So yeah, I, that was probably kinda, as long as we've been alive. But yeah, the Pontiac Silverdome, and then where they're at Ford Field. But uh, Tampa Bay beating Philadelphia. I'll admit, going into it, I did not know who I wanted to like in this game because I knew Tampa Bay had been playing well, and when you count this game, six or seven um, wins there. But nine and nothing against Carolina. I was like, okay, I'm not too sure about this one. And then obviously the Philadelphia struggle coming in. Um, for you and you know your broadcast partners in there, you worked with Kevin Kugler, Kurt Warner, and Taylor Davis in this game as well. Uh, what was kind of the feeling going into it? It was kind of a lot of what you said. Didn't really know how to take either one of these teams coming in. You knew the Eagles had struggled. They ended up after this game losing six of their last seven on the season. But you knew they had some tough games. They had battled through some injuries, especially on the defensive side and the secondary. You were getting a couple of those guys back. And so you felt a little bit better about what Philadelphia had coming into this game than maybe you did the weeks previous. On the flip side, with the Buccaneers, yeah, they had won five of their last six coming into this. But they had lost to the Saints. You talked about the 9 nothing victory against the Panthers, which that was an awful game in Week 18. And so you didn't really know. And, oh, by the way, Baker Mayfield had kind of bruised up the ribs coming into that one against the Panthers. And so you didn't really know what you were going to be getting. But it was pretty apparent from the word go of what you were going to get from both sides. 
it, Philadelphia's defense was absolutely putrid. Uh, they could not tackle. They were not in the right spot. It was it was not good for Philadelphia on the defensive side. And credit the Buccaneers, they were able to take advantage of it. It's not necessarily the long bombs down the field that you've seen from this team at times. But it was a couple of 10, 15-yard slants and then missed tackles down the field, and it turns into big plays. And so it was pretty apparent from the word go of what two you were going to get. You felt like at some point Philadelphia was going to either hit a big play, make a big stop, and it was going to swing the momentum back on the side for the Eagles. It just never happened. And as somewhat lopsided the score looked in favor of Tampa Bay, it could have been a lot worse and probably should have been a lot worse if you ask guys on that side of the ball. Yeah, because, I mean, it was 16-9 to nine at one point. But, yeah. yeah, Tampa Bay came out and just the way Baker Mayfield was just slinging it around. And, honestly, you got to think for Philadelphia it was a bad omen when the uh, when the, the brotherly shove did not work uh, on the one when they went for two instead of the – you know, when they got the penalty, put them on the one. Because, I mean, that's kind of like their play that works. And they just didn't run the ball. And that's been an issue with them this year. It's like last year's team that made that run. They were running the ball with great success. And then Jalen Hurts was playing off of that. And defensively, they were getting out the quarterback. Just this was not that same team this year. And it's just it's wild. They were 10-1 and one and didn't have the finish that they did. Yeah, it it's hard to put your finger on what exactly it was with this Philadelphia team because a lot of times – it was issues that you wouldn't expect from this Philadelphia team in the middle of October when they're in the middle of that 10 and two start. It was a really good defense. I say really good. It was decent enough defense. You had a little bit of a change as far as play calling on that side, but on the offensive side, it was trying to figure out what was wrong. And a lot of it comes from the offensive line, which has been a strength for Philadelphia the last couple of years. But Jalen Hurst just had no time when he's dropping back trying to find people over the middle. And, yes, you don't have A.J. Brown in this game at wide receiver, but I don't know that that really affected the game much, if at all, of not having him because if you're not able to get it to him, it doesn't matter who's on that side of the pass trying to catch it. It was just a bad day all the way around and a lot of compounded errors. There was a time in the game about the third quarter – when it was, you felt like it was going to go one way or the other. If Philadelphia scored, they might be back in it. They drive down to about the 40, 45 yard line. And then two consecutive penalties sets them up in second and about 25. And so it's a couple of compounded mistakes that turns into a big time problem for Philadelphia. And they just couldn't get anything going. And again, credit to Tampa Bay. They proved me wrong because I thought Philadelphia was going to handle this game pretty well but Tampa Bay did not let the foot off the gas at any point in this game yeah and and I know some people probably say well the NFC South was is a softer division than what yeah (laughs) (laughs) than what the AFC East usually is and I'm bringing that up for this Tampa Bay though did a better job than the Patriots did post Brady because Going into this year, and I was one of them, I thought Tampa Bay was going to be the worst team of that division. I, I yeah. thought Carolina would be better than they were with Jalen with uh, I was about to say Taylor Hurts with Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, just insert one of them. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought for sure New Orleans was going to be the best team. I kind of didn't know about Atlanta just because of the quarterback situation, which looks like they're about to have Bill Belichick as their head coach. We'll see what uh, what goes down there, but just a job, Todd, you know 
coach Todd Bowles and this staff has done just to have a better team than they had last year with Tom Brady, which was eight and nine. Yeah, and you got to give a lot of credit. And I probably wouldn't have said this six weeks ago. You got to give a lot of credit to Baker Mayfield. I mean, you look at a guy that's bounced around a couple of different teams over the last three years, he's had eight different head coaches. Mm-hmm. Three years, eight head coaches. It, just to be able to kind of keep the nose down and keep grinding, he's finally fell into a spot where he doesn't have to be the absolute stud quarterback. And I think Kurt Warner said it best on the Westwood One broadcast of this game. He is a starter in the NFL. He is not a top 10 quarterback, but Tampa Bay doesn't need him to be a top 10 quarterback. When you've got guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rashad White at running back, you don't need him to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Is he a top 32 quarterback in the NFL? Absolutely. And he's landed in a spot where he doesn't have to be the guy and he's able to use the pieces around him. And as long as you've still got the pieces around him and a really good defense on the other side of the ball, he's going to be able to thrive down there in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And what was it? 2020, the year they with the Browns, they he played super well. I mean, yeah. he, he showed with the Browns when he's healthy and everything's right around him. I look, he's one of these quarterbacks. I look at him, look, he's not probably going to, uh, he's not like a, a Patrick Mahomes yeah. or someone that can take lesser talent and lift it up. He's probably not that guy. He, he probably is more in the elk of a, uh, Kirk Cousins says, but when everything, when he's healthy and everything's working around him, he's a very effective quarterback. He's not a guy that is going to rally an entire team and win a whole lot of games single-handedly. But on the flip side, he is not a guy that is going to do something completely crazy and lose a lot of football games. He's kind of, I know this is going to sound a lot worse than I mean it. He is an average quarterback. He is a good starter, a solid starter in the NFL. Could he grow into something better? Absolutely. But right now, he is a top 32 quarterback in the NFL. He deserves to be a starter in the NFL and to have that job pretty solidly. But he's not a guy that's going to take you to the next level. But I will say this about him, whether what's going on in the game, he's going to go down swinging. That's another thing with, uh, well, with no Baker doubt. Mayfield. He's got that toughness about him. He, it's, watching him before the game, it was not comfortable for him at all to play in this game, let alone be able to throw it as many times as he did. But he powered through it. And a lot like he said with the ankle injury going into the Carolina game the week prior, He's like, it's going to take everything in this organization to not get me to be on this field. I'm going to be on this field for my team. He powered through two games when a lot of people would would not have. So uh, how do you, how do you see them matching up with the Detroit Lions, who's coming off a tremendous victory, fun fun game there against the Rams. Uh, Jared Goff, I don't know, got some revenge, got a a chip off his shoulder. I don't know, beating the Rams his former team, but. Now they get to host again uh, indoors for that reporter. She's checking out this podcast. Uh, it will be indoors there in Detroit. But how do you see Tampa Bay matching up? You know, this is going to be a really good game. And I think going forward, and obviously this is what you want in the NFL playoffs, a couple of pretty good teams going at it and turning into really good games. And so I think you're going to have a really good game. I think if I had to pick right now, I think Detroit's probably a little bit more talented at a couple of different key spots, especially offensively. But don't count out this Buccaneers team. This isn't a team that's necessarily going to wow you with a bunch of stats and 
not necessarily a team that's going to run the ball especially, but on the flip side, it's a team that you can't count out of anything because they've shown it time and time again. Whenever they're down, you look in the middle of the season, they ended up losing six of seven from week six until week 12. What do they do respond to that? They win four straight. And so when this team's on the mat, they find a way to get up swinging. You know, just kind of looking at the rest of the uh, NFL playoffs, just do you obviously we all assume they're going to play the 49ers, whoever wins that game. You would think. Uh, uh, do you think either of these teams could beat the 49ers? I don't know. I think the 49ers are probably the best team in the NFL right now. Um, just what Brock Purdy has been able to do the last couple of years has been really impressive. And then you add a couple of really key skill pieces around him. That offense is really dangerous. And the defense has been not necessarily stellar, but it's been above average and been really good when it has to be, especially in late game situations. So I don't know that there's anybody that's going to take on the 49ers and be a favorite going into it. But it's, again, it's the NFL playoffs, man. Anything can happen. We've seen a lot crazier the last couple of years. Well, as a Packer fan, I am hoping for crazy uh, Saturday night. Just <laughs> throwing that out there. Uh, I didn't expect them to be in this. I thought that Dallas would be the, the Packers. So I'm, you know, kind of, you know, uh, shocked. It's a little bit warmer in San Francisco than Green Bay, I'd imagine. Yeah, it is. It is just a little bit. But, hey, they were inside against the, the Cowboys, basically. I mean, I know there's the, the little bit of an opening, but anyways. Um, you know, just real quickly, uh, this week, the other games this weekend, Houston and Baltimore and Kansas City Buffalo. Uh, do you got any guys you like in that one? You know, I know the smart pick is Baltimore, especially anybody on the AFC side, but I've been super impressed with what Houston's been able to do. You get a first-year head coach in D'Amico Ryans. You get a first-year quarterback in C.J. Stroud. One of their top defensive talents, and Will Anderson from Alabama, is seven or eight sacks on the year to lead the team. He's a first-year player. Oh, by the way, your play caller is a first-year play caller, and what they've been able to do this year has been really impressive, and it, you've seen a lot of rejuvenation of what Houston has been able to do in the community. That's a football town. They love football down in the middle of Texas, and so what they've been able to do, compile that with what the fan base around them is, that's a scary team, and I know they have to go on the road to Baltimore, and that's not an easy trip, and it's going to be awful cold up in Baltimore. But Houston is a team that I think could surprise a lot of people. I don't know that they're necessarily going to beat the Ravens, but Houston, especially the next couple of years, is going to be a really scary team coming up in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, of course, we get Kansas City and Buffalo. I mean, this is – I feel like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen is the new Brady versus Manning. Yeah, I, you could say that. I mean, these are these are two really good teams, and this may be the best matchup of the weekend. I, I love the Bills. I love what Josh Allen is able to do. I got to see them a couple of weeks ago when they were down in Miami, and I know you can talk about Mahomes and the turnovers, especially early in the season. They had a lot of injuries through the middle part of the season in Buffalo. They're back to pretty much full strength or as close to full strength as they're going to get. That's a scary team, and I know Kansas City has been really good with Patrick Mahomes, but they've struggled the last couple of weeks down the back half of the season. Don't be surprised if Buffalo is able to knock off Mahomes again. Yeah, this is the first time ever Patrick Mahomes is playing a road playoff game, and that's that is very Isn't that interesting crazy to think. Yeah, it seems yeah. like he's been around forever, and this is his first road playoff game. 
it's just a testament to how good they've been to yeah. be the number one seed in the AFC every year where they did not have to go on the road. Uh, but it, it's very intriguing. I just want to see how they react to that. Going in, uh, of all environments, you're going to have to go to Buffalo. And that's right. going to be that's an intriguing not, one. Not the uh, easiest place to play if you have to go on the road, especially for the first time in the playoffs. And it, Bill's Mafia traveled down to Miami, and it was pretty impressive. I can only imagine what it looks like when they're at the friendly confines. Anybody jumping on cars and stuff like that when, when you know when you're there? No, uh, no, I tried to get out of there pretty quick. I had a long ride home, but I was not uh, staying around for any of the post game festivities. Yeah, yeah, uh, they are they are a fun crowd, and they made some tough makes it tough to go there. Yeah. Oh, you know, real quick before I let you go, of course, I told you off air. I want to, you know, I always like talking broadcasting stuff for people, and uh, of course, with you, uh, you were the sideline producer for the Westwood One uh, broadcast on monday night uh, just uh for people who don't know just uh what what does that entail so with westwood one i bounce around from a couple of different spots i do spotting which is just kind of pointing out who has the ball and stuff for the play-by-play guy um and then sideline producing is the best way i can describe it is essentially a sideline reporter that doesn't talk so anything the sideline reporter would be getting down on the field whether it's injury updates that's a big part of it um, post-game interviews, um, any information from it, easier in the NFL because each NFL team has a PR contact on the sidelines that they can relay to. And so anything that pops up throughout the game down on the field, just relaying it back upstairs so uh, so the guys have what they need and everything that they can we can get our hands on. That's interesting. I know a lot of people probably, you know, don't know that, that they're, you know, is that really thing? Oh, everything's just coming from the sideline reporter that you see on TV or hear on radio, but obviously there's more than one person there to go get that information. No, it, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot more work and a lot more, a uh, lot more steps than I would have thought of going into this a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're talking about your career, uh, you know, just kind of looks up a long time uh, there uh, with jo- Georgia Southern, uh, with uh, the Georgia, Su- Georgia Southern Sports Network. Uh, see if I can talk here uh, all during this podcast. Sometimes stuff gets tied up on the tongue. Oh, man, you were there too, right when Georgia Southern moved up into FCS. Uh, Willie Fritz, there's head coach, and just some interesting moments there in football, but you know, sports all together. Oh, uh, what, what were some of the biggest memories you had there, uh, your time covering Georgia, Georgia Southern Eagles? You know, I, I got there in a really cool time in the history of Georgia Southern. I got there in 2012 when I first started college down there. Both of my parents went to Georgia Southern. My aunt went to Georgia Southern. My cousin went to Georgia Southern. We were trying to get a family discount. It didn't come through. But <laughs> when I first got there, I got plugged in right away with the Georgia Southern, it was radio network at the time, turned into sports network whenever it came under the Learfield umbrella, but got tied in with Chris Blair, who's now at LSU, Ryan Chambers, who's now at University of Virginia, Chris Draper, who's out in Las Vegas. And those three guys kind of not only did the radio broadcast, but also did the sales side of it. And so I got to see a lot of different things from a lot of different angles. And then, oh, by the way, the first year I'm there is when they announced that going to be moving to the Sunbelt Conference from the Southern Conference, which was well overdue, especially moving up from 1AA or FCS to FBS. And then the last game that Georgia Southern plays football-wise as a member of the Southern Conference and an FCS team go down to Florida and knock off the Florida Gators in the swamp. 
that was a fun day, I can guarantee you. And there were a lot of really upset Florida fans at us that day. Oh, yeah. But, but you get into that, and then you move your way into the Sunbelt Conference, and everybody talks about the jump from FCS to FBS, and it was really eye-opening how much of a jump that is. And it's not necessarily on the field. There is a jump on the field and what the talent level looks like in these teams, and especially the consistency from top to bottom in the league. But it was the fact of no matter where you went in the Sunbelt Conference, for the most part, that everybody around that athletic department and fan base cared so much about teams. I mean, you go to Troy and you walk into anywhere around Troy, Alabama, and people are talking Trojans. You walk around anywhere in Louisiana and people in Lafayette love their Cajun baseball. They love their Cajun softball. And so the passion around those programs and the, again, just the care, and it sounds extremely simple and kind of it is but just being able to be around people that care and take pride in what they're able to do to put on the product of what that team is that's a huge jump from where georgia southern came from and it was really fun to watch the transition into the sunbelt first year in football able to go perfect in sunbelt conference play win the conference and so many memories over gosh, 10 years at Georgia Southern. It doesn't seem like that, but 10 years at Georgia Southern. I mean, my last, I guess my last broadcast at Georgia Southern was when Georgia Southern hosted a regional in baseball at in Statesboro, J.I. Clement Stadium, which I never would have thought would have been possible. And so it, a lot of really good memories, but a lot of really good people. We were talking before we started going on this of Barry McKnight over at Troy, one of my favorite human beings and you get to meet so many people around this league and this league has a lot of really talented people, but a lot of really good human beings. Yeah, I agree. I, I've talked to some of them, you know, like I always say, I told you Barry McNight's a regular uh, for me, but some of the other, the Sunbelt is very underrated in a lot of aspects. I think that's one of them. And you brought oh, up sure. the passion, you know, the passion that the Sunbelt brings. Uh, I got to ask you though, you were there, Georgia Southern for the longest Georgia Southern is known as a triple option team. Yep. Then here comes Clay Helton. Yep. Five wide receivers, pro pro style offense. Just you know, just from used to seeing Georgia Southern do one thing, and then they completely opposite. Just what was watching that transition like? You know, it's funny because with Georgia Southern fan base nowadays, it's about half and half. Half of the fan base wanted Georgia Southern to get rid of the triple option years ago to go to what everybody's doing now. And then half of them thought it would be a sin to get away from the triple option. And so you made half the people really happy. You ticked half the people off whenever Clay Helton came in. But what Clay Helton has been able to do, he has really ingrained himself in the community. And Georgia Southern, a lot like Troy, a lot like a lot of places in the Sunbelt Conference, is extremely community-driven. I mean, you look at what Statesboro is. It's a community of about 20,000, 25,000 people. Oh, by the way, whenever school's in session, there's about 30,000 students. So you more than doubled the city population whenever Statesboro gets in with Georgia Southern. And so really ingrained in the community and so many great people around Statesboro of really tapping into the old roots of Irk Russell, of getting back 
not necessarily on the field what it looks like, but getting back to the off the field connections and being able to to go around and be able to talk to your head football coach. And Clay Helton has been extremely, extremely gracious with what he's been able to do around the community, and he has made a big difference. And I know it hasn't necessarily turned into the wins and losses that people around Statesboro would like to see, but Clay Helton is the guy. Clay Helton is an absolute salt-of-the-earth human being, and he's going to get that football program right. You can bet that. So, and I'll let you go, and we'll close out on this, but my biggest Georgia Southern football memory, the first game I ever covered uh, college football was the Camellia Bowl 2018, uh, Tyler Bass kicking that 40-yard field goal in a rainy Montgomery. I've covered that bowl game two or three times as a photographer on the sideline. So, you know, you're down, you know, obviously, you know, from doing sideline work, you're in the rain. There's nothing, you're not going up to the press box or anything like that. That, that was awesome. Of course, Tyler Bass is now kicking for the bills, tying it back into the playoffs, but that's kind of like my big uh, Georgia Southern memory, just because that was my first uh, college football game. I got to actually cover. So I've got a funny story about that. We put out a video a little bit later after the game of uh, Danny Reed, the play-by-play broadcaster for Georgia Southern, his call of Tyler Bass's field goal. And a good friend of mine, Aaron Soka, who works at Duke now, he was working communications for Georgia Southern at the time. He came in our booth and started videoing from our booth. So you see over Danny and Terry Harvin's shoulder, the view that we had of Tyler Bass's walk-off field goal. And so he's videoing it, but Aaron gets a little excitable. And so whenever it went through, Danny goes through his call and right about the end of his call, because at Georgia Southern, I was up in the booth producing and everything. And so I was standing right beside him. Well, right at the end of Danny's call in the video that we put out, you see that it just kind of fades to a graphic. The reason for that was Aaron jumps on my back like a piggyback and almost knocks he and I both out of the booth because the booths in the uh, Camellia Bowl, it is was designed as a photo deck, and so you have to open the windows that go from ceiling to floor, and there's just a small railing that separates you from the opening before you tumble a long way down. So the reason that there's no video on the end of that call is because Aaron almost knocked both of us out of the booth. <laughs> well, that, uh, that adds to the story, the story of that one. Um... Uh, you gotta find that though. We gotta find that. I, I gotta go see if that's still uh, on the internet. Well, I'm sure anywhere. it still exists somewhere. So uh, that's gonna be my plan uh, when we get done here. But uh, Colin, I appreciate you coming on. I told you 15, 20. We went about 26, 27 minutes here, but it's been a lot of fun having you on. Uh, if uh, listeners or viewers want to check it out, where can they find you on the work you're doing? So you can follow me. I guess the easiest is on Twitter or X, whatever they're calling it now. C underscore Lacey 16. I mean, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram all those things. I'm not great at social media, but you'll be able to at least see where I'm at. All right, everybody go give Colin a follow. And uh, once again, Colin, I appreciate the time and I hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate what you do. 
96.9, the legend is your connection to classic country legends. But Digio Strategies has other options, too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows, like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m., and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at Night and Coast to Coast AM keep you company and connected throughout the night. Plus, Fox News, the Alabama Radio Network, and Wiregrass Daily News keep you informed with national, international, state, and local news. And with more musical choices like all the hits, 106.7 KMX, Today's Country, 95.5 WTVY, and Music 107.7. Digio Strategies gives you more choices and more variety. Listen on air, online, and on our apps. 96.9 The Legend is just the beginning. All right. Once again, thanks to Bill Bender and Colin Lacey for coming on today's edition of the show. Uh, as we get out of here real quickly, my picks for the weekend in the NFL playoffs, Ravens and the Texans. Ravens are the home team. The Ravens are nine half point favorite. I'm going to go to Ravens here. I think the Texans play well early, but then the Ravens kind of knock off the rush. Remember, they did not play Lamar Jackson the last game of the regular season against the Steelers either. Kind of get their footing back under them. I think the, the Ravens will pull away at the end. Lamar Jackson will be your league MVP this year. 49ers and Packers in the NFC side of things. I think the Packers are going to probably have a hard time running the ball in this one uh, with Aaron Jones, and then that will put a lot more pressure on Jordan Love. I think the Packers keep it close. I think this comes down to the fourth quarter, but give me the edge with the 49ers in this one. The Buccaneers and the Lions, 2 o'clock NBC on Sunday. The Lions, they are six-and-a-half point favorite in this one. There's going to be a lot of emotion in this game. I think... The Lions should win this one. I think the, they're more physical up front. I think Baker Mayfield may make some mistakes in this one. Um, and Jared Goff has another good day. So I'm going to go with Detroit to win that one. And then I have the Bills beating the Chiefs. I just don't think the Chiefs have enough at wide receiver. And the Bills are a team on remission. And this is the first time Patrick Mahomes is playing a road playoff game. So that is my picks for the weekend. Usually this is the part of the show where I said I will talk to you on Monday, but I will not be talking to you on Monday. I will not be talking to you on Tuesday. Uh, as I said earlier in the week, and I haven't quite made this a big social media post yet. may do that beginning next week, but uh, the podcast is going to one day a week. Starting next week will be coming on Wednesday. It's got one guest locked in, working on some more. So one a week, we're just saying, well, 30-minute episode. We'll be 30 minutes. We'll be longer. Uh, about an hour will be the, the goal or we will hit at on these once-a-week episodes. But when we get back into college football season next year, we'll jump back into two or three episodes a week. But at this point until then, we're coming at you one day a week, but a lot of guests every Wednesday. And, of course, my opinions on what's going on around the Southeast and college football and just some other good sports stuff. Remember, you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SEC. The podcast is available over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I'll read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can also check out the show over at wiregrassdailynews.com. You can watch the show tomorrow or today on Friday 
on the Wiregrass Daily News Facebook page. It will go up at noon, so you can check that out during your lunchtime. And uh, check out the show over on my YouTube channel, Philip Jordan Sports YouTube channel. Hit subscribe button, hit the bell for all notifications, and please leave a comment on a video. I'll read those on a future edition as well. And also posting the interviews individually up on the YouTube page and also on the podcast feed later on in the day as well. Hope everybody has a great Friday, has a great weekend, enjoy the games. I'll talk to you guys next week on Wednesday. And until then, bye-bye.